Good morning, everyone. I'd like to take this time to welcome everyone to the Rome Church Christ worship service at 1030. We have worship service at 6 p.m. this evening and also devotional on Wednesday at 7 if you'd like to return. We're thankful for those of you that are visiting with us. I'd like to invite you back at that time. Last week at this time, there was a rumor going around that I had surgery. It wasn't surgery. I just didn't shut up. No idea. Everything's better. I can see. Everything's brighter. But uh, thank you for the prayers. And Brian Ward for the comment. I was watching from the phone. (laughs) But anyway, everything's went well this week. Thank you for everything. Just a couple things before we begin this morning. Sandy Smith's sister-in-law, keep her in your prayers. Brenda Williamson passed away. Also keep uh, the Pittman family at Matt's son, Mason, that passed away this week. Keep those people in your prayers. Sandy Smith's sister-in-law, she passed away. Right. Brenda Williamson. Okay. If I didn't say that, I'm sorry. But I can't see the paper this morning without holding it up. (laughs) I thought, oh, man, I didn't mess that up. But I can see it. Because if you've been noticing, I've been kind of doing that. But anyway... Kelly Williams had successful surgery on Friday, and thank the good Lord she's here this morning with her husband, Mike. Also, check the prayer list for those that, that's on our prayer list, and we have several that's been on it for a few years. Continue to pray for Elways and Kristen and Rusty and Kelly and the families that have lost loved ones. I'd like to read Psalms 118. Verse 24 and verse 29, if you'd like to follow along. This is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Would you bow with me, please? Father, we are thankful for this beautiful day of life that you've given us. We're thankful for your son who came and died for us. We're thankful for the community in which we live. And, Father, we try to let our light shine in your presence and and the presence of our community. And we pray, Father, that the things we do are pleasing unto you and, and in accordance with your will. We ask that you go with us through this service this morning. Bless each and every one that's here. Bless those that can't be here because of illness. Be with those that have lost loved ones. Give them strength and courage and pray they look to you for guidance and help. Bless John as he leads us into singing as we surround that table to remember your son who died on the cross for all of us. Bless Chris as he presents us with the lesson. Forgive us of our sins. In thy son's name we pray and amen. Would you stand for the first song please?
First hymn this morning, number 585, Soldiers of Christ Arise. We'll sing the first three verses. <clears throat> Soldiers of Christ arise, and strong in the strength which comes Next hymn this morning, number 833, ring out the message, 833, and after this, Brother Sai will have our scripture reading and prayer. There's a message true and glad for the simple and the sad, ring it out, ring it out, it will give them courage Sin and doubt to sweep up. Till the 
this morning will be from Acts chapter 20 verses 28. Acts chapter 20 verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God which he bought with his own blood. Bow with me please. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much for this time that you've allowed us to come together here to worship you, to sing songs of praise to you, to study from your word. Lord, we pray that everything that we do here today will be in accordance with your word, will be pleasing to you, will bring honor to you. Lord, we pray that you'll be with us through this service, be with John C. Lee singing as we partake of the Lord's Supper in a few moments as Chris brings a lesson. Lord, we just pray that everything we do will be as you would have it to be. Lord, we pray that you'll be with all those that have been mentioned that are sick, those that have lost loved ones, those that have underwent surgeries or will be undergoing surgeries. Lord, we thank you for watching over Kelly and helping her through her surgery and pray that all the tests will come back well and that her problems can be over. Lord, we pray that you'll be the ones that lost loved ones, be with Sandy Smith and her husband at the loss of her sister-in-law. Pray that you'll just be with them and comfort and strengthen them. Lord, we thank you so much for your son that he was willing to come to this earth to Live, suffer, die, and rise again, all for us. But we thank you for his teachings. We thank you for his sacrifice. Lord, we just pray that you'll continue just to be with us and help us to always do the things you would have us to do. Lord, help us be the light in our communities. Help us be able to spread your word and bring more people to you. Lord, we... Again, pray you'll be with us and forgive us. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Next time we number 482. 482. Oh, listen to our wondrous story. <clears throat> oh, listen to our wondrous story. How it was my love. 
We read in Acts 8 and 26 that an angel of the Lord came to Philip and sent him on a road from Jerusalem to Gaza where he met an Ethiopian eunuch. And when he got to the eunuch, he asked him, as he, as he, as he approached the eunuch, he heard him reading from the prophet Isaiah. And he said, do you understand what you're reading? The eunuch was reading from Isaiah 53. And he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man suffering and familiar with pain, like one of whom people hide their faces. He was despised and he was held, held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our sufferings. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our inequities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the inequities of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to slaughter, and a sheep before its shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was, was in any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to curse him, to suffer, and through the Lord makes his life an offering for sin. For he will see his, his offspring and his prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As he suffered, he, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by the knowledge of righteousness. Servant will justify many, for he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I give him my portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured his his life unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sins of the many and made the intercession for the transgressors. And when Philip heard him reading this, he asked the eunuch, Do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch said, How can I? Unless somebody explains it to him. And the Bible tells us then he began to preach Jesus to him. Wouldn't you have liked to have been there to hear that conversation? Talk about Jesus' love his patience, his kindness, 
his long suffering. But most surely he talked about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. How Jesus took the sins of the world and placed them on his back. He was crucified upon the cross. And then he rose, creating a way, an avenue. Became an innocent. He was able to talk to God on our behalf. On the first day of the week, the disciples gathered, and they remembered, and they broke bread. We, too, turn our minds back to the cross and remember the sacrifice that Jesus did for each of us. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, the unleavened bread, which represents his body, the fruit of the vine, which represents his shed blood. And it's through his blood that we have remission of our sins. Let's go to God in prayer. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we are thankful for this day. We are thankful for the opportunity to gather here this morning and remember your Son, who loved us, who died for us. Father, as we partake of this bread, which represents his body, may we do it in a manner which is pleasing to thy sight. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, as we continue to remember your son, we ask that you bless this fruit of the vine which represents his shed blood. Father, we are so thankful for the sacrifice that he made for us, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. separate and apart, we're commanded to, to give back to the church what we have restored. We have bins in the back, boxes that you can place your offering in. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so thankful for all the many blessings of life that you bestow upon us each day. Father, you watch over and protect us. Father, we know that all things come from you, that you are the great giver, that you take care of us. Father, as we Return a portion to you, Father, we ask that we have a cheerful and giving heart, that they may be used in a manner to strengthen your church and spread your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's all please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 658. <clears throat> there is much to do. We'll sing the first three verses. Just at this time, the young children may go to the children's Bible hour. There is much to do. There's work on every hand. Hope the bright will have come, bringing through the land. Jesus calls the reaper, comes at the gate. What wilt thou, O Master, hear and watch in me? Hear and watch in me, and Lord says he. Hear and watch in me, and Lord says he.
The invitation to him for this morning, number 103, come to Jesus, 103. It's time for the Chris. Good morning. It's good to be back with you. Uh, I'm bringing the water up because I've just got back from vacation and I have allergies. And it just refuses to leave me alone. Uh, we had a great vacation. Uh, just a quick story. When we were in Maine, we, were, we stayed at a campground that was way deep in the woods. That's awesome, but uh, apparently I'm also allergic to pine trees. So, be turning to First Timothy chapter three. Uh, the elders have asked me to speak on the qualifications of elders, so we are going to do that this morning. First Timothy chapter three is where you'll find the qualifications for elders. Also in Titus chapter one. So we're going to read through both of those passages in just a moment. But I wanted to provide for us some introductory thoughts this morning. <clears throat> In your bulletin articles uh, today, I wrote a little bit about the three um, ne- uh, words used in Greek for elders. It provides maybe the best job description uh, for what these men do. Uh, and we laid out a little bit of that. You'll find the qualifications for elders here in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. Those are qualifications. It's not actually what they do, it's who they are. And so we're going to talk about that this morning on the flip side of this coin, I suppose. You needed to know the three words, if you're not already familiar with them, um, that describe elders and their work. It's actually a job description, and the only job description we find for these men in Scripture. And you'll find that in your bulletin articles this morning. Uh, the vast majority of what um, those that the job description uh, is made up of is these men are careful. Um, They, through age, have learned to be careful with their speech, careful with their actions. Um, Thanks to the word presbyteros, we know that they are older men, they're advanced in age. We don't have a number, though, and we'll talk about that as we get through the qualifications uh, of elders here in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. So we're not given an exact number, but we know that they're, they're older, advanced in age, and that age has made them careful. It's made them think before they talk, which is something that all of us should do. James 1.19 says that we should be slow to 
quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And that's something these men have learned through age and experience. Um, we laid out several more of that job description for you in the bulletin article, but this morning I wanted to talk about the qualifications. First Timothy chapter 3, let's read through this section. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. That word overseer is, an, is one of the words for elder. It's the one of the job descriptions that we talk about in the bulletin article. So he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if, one, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for the God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Now, flip over to Titus chapter 1, and we'll read what Paul writes to Titus. It'll be on the board as well, about the qualifications for elders. You'll see a lot of these qualifications. Um, he tells Titus uh, the same qualifications, at least a great many of them are duplicated here in Titus chapter 1, 5 through 9. The wording is slightly different. Uh, so we, we find uh, maybe a few more qualifications as we combine these two passages. Titus chapter 1, verse 5. He says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you, may, so that you might put what remains into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers, and not open to the charge of debauchery or in or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So what I wanted to do this morning is maybe break down these qualifications into four different groups. Uh, we'll start with qualifications, uh, how I'm phrasing is qualifications of his personal character. Paul talks uh, quite a bit about this man's character. So what we're going to try to do this morning is maybe paint a picture for this man, what he looks like, how he acts, um, and, and we're going to obviously do that through scripture. And so this man, Paul says uh, in 1 Timothy 3, he desires and he aspires to a noble task. Go back through and look at your, look in your scriptures there in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. You'll notice that he says the exact same thing two different ways. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Go back through and look at verse 1. He says, the saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires. Underline that word aspires. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires. And there's another word you need to underline. He desires a noble task. Paul uses two different words for the same thought in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. He's saying that this man wants the job. But in the second word, when he says he desires a job, he, he's using maybe a more intense word 
for want. And so through that, implied in that, I suppose, is that this man not only has prioritized his life so as to be qualified for this job, he's thought about it, right? He's been, he's been leading his life since a younger age so as to be qualified for this. He's put other things on the back burner. He's made sacrifices so that he can be this type of man. But also, he's already doing the job. He's already doing the job of an elder. He's already caring for the flock. He's already teaching. He's already a spiritually mature man. He's already doing the work of an elder. He just doesn't have the title for it yet. Uh, And so if we were to uh, see a man who fits some of these other qualifications, but he doesn't want the job because it's a burdensome job, he would not be qualified. Uh, Or if we found a man who wanted the job of an elder but wasn't currently doing it, wasn't currently teaching, wasn't currently caring for the flock, caring for the congregation, he wouldn't be qualified. So that's what Paul says here. If if the saying is trustworthy, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Paul says, "This this is a good thing. You want, we need men like this. The church needs men like this who stand up and say what's right and lead in righteous ways. He says it's a noble thing. You have to be qualified to be able to do it. <coughs> so that's the first one of his personal characteristics here we need to, we need to focus on. This guy is already doing the work. Uh, he's already uh, caring for the flock. He's aspiring to the work. He's already involved in it. But also, he's above reproach. You can't lay a credible fault against this guy. Um, not that he's sinless, of course. He's human. And that's one of the, uh, the impressive things about uh, the churches. God has entrusted mankind with his most precious commodity, the thing that his son died for. He has given it into the hands of men. Do you trust your most precious thing with someone that... You don't trust? Well, of course not, do you? He's entrusted the church to men. And we have faults, right? Mankind has faults. We sin and we mess up. So we're not talking about a sinless man when he says that he's above reproach, but that this is a man who is working on his character. He is concerned about spiritual matters. Uh, He apologizes when he's wrong. He asks for forgiveness when he's found to be in a wrong spot. He's not sinless. Uh, But when someone outside of the church hears that that man's been made a leader in the church, they don't say, what? That guy? I know that guy. I saw him in the grocery store. I I know him at work. They don't say those kinds of things. They say, oh, well, that makes sense. That's what it means to be above reproach. It makes sense to even those two are outside the church would say, oh, yeah, I understand that. He's a good man. He's, he's got integrity. He's honest. Uh, he's upright, to use a word that was uh, used, by, uh, used to describe Job. So he's above reproach. He's also temperate and prudent. He's got a sound mind. Um, it, it literally means that he's holding no wine. But this word is used several times throughout Scripture, and it's, almost, it's never used uh, to talk about uh, not drinking. It, it's not, the, the word here is not that you're not drunk, although Scripture 
castigates that in other places, obviously. The word here is not that you're not a drinker. The word is that you're in control of your mind at all times, unlike those folks who drink. And so Paul's using it almost like a euphemism here. Um, So he's able to think about serious things in a serious way. Uh, This is obvious when you think about what he's being tasked with. He'll be one of the ones that's in charge of handling the finances of the church. You don't want a guy who is frivolous and thoughtless, who's flighty, not to have that, that kind of responsibility, the message that's preached and the direction that the congregation goes. He's one of the ones who's in charge of that. How to help people be faithful, though there's sin in their lives. This needs to be a serious man. Um, this needs to be a self-controlled man. This needs to be a man who can sit in your living room and have a conversation with you about a hard thing in a serious way, but also in a kind and gentle way. So this man walks a very fine line. And you see that here with these qualifications of temperate and prudent. Uh, he's, He's a serious man who takes serious things seriously. He's not a drag. He's not... Uh, it's not like he, he doesn't know how to laugh, but he knows when it's time to be serious. He's also respectable. His behavior is such that people will respect him. He will think and talk like you'd expect a Christian to do. He's got integrity. He's respectable. Uh, again, those who are outside the church wouldn't think, oh, this guy, well, that's an odd choice. They would think, well, yes, that, that makes perfect sense. He is a respectable man. He's also hospitable. He'll be the type of person who will have strangers in his home, although that's not all this passage means. Um, this, this qualification means more than just having people in his home. He'll be the type of person who can sit in your living room and have a conversation with you about your soul. He's relatable, right? In the first century, being hospitable, being hospitable was a integral part of life. Uh, They didn't have inns, they didn't have hotels, and so if you were passing through, uh, or if you needed assistance, there was no government welfare, there was no government entity that helped you, and so if you needed help, the church was the one who helped you. They were the ones who stood up and helped. And so Paul says the leader in the church, the leader in God's church, needs to be such a man that will stand up and do those kinds of things. Today, we relate those. uh, Instead of having people in your home, although I think that's probably a necessity, uh, it's also a relatable context. You know, you can talk to this man. He's enjoyable to be around you. You like him. Um, He's relatable. He's not given to wine. This guy is, again, a serious individual. He's not allowing something else to control him. Um, He's not submitting to or being driven by something like that. He's always in control of his emotions and his actions. That's that's what this man is. He's not given to wine. He's not pugnacious. That's the word we don't use very much anymore, is it? He's not pugnacious. He's not a fighter. Um, You ever met those folks who just kind of want to argue uh, they're not happy with anything you say, and they're just, they want to fight. This guy's not like that. He doesn't want to fight. In fact, he is gentle and peaceable. This guy is the, the man that, Paul, that uh, Jesus speaks about in the Sermon on the Mount. 
He is a peacemaker. He's looking for harmony. He wants to unite people instead of divide. He's not difficult to get along with. He's not uh, hard to talk to. In fact, he's the exact opposite. He is looking for harmony in relationships. He's not pugnacious. He's not a fighter. Um, Again, not literally, right? He's not, although he probably shouldn't use his fists. but more verbally, more his attitude, I think is what Paul's getting to here. He can't be so ready to, to fight. Um, he's not easily set off. He has a long fuse. Um, you're going to find as we walk through the rest of these, if you haven't already noticed, there's a lot of background material that go into what seem like simple qualifications, but they're not, right? They cover... The entire life. Um, and Paul's trying to paint a picture here for us uh, of what this man looks like. And we're just trying to follow that, that pattern. And so this guy's not, he's not a fighter. He's gentle. He's peaceable. Um, this is the man who says hard things in a way that makes you feel good about yourself. He can say difficult things to you uh, in a way that helps you. He's not self-willed. It doesn't always have to be his way. He's not so arrogant to think that just because he has an opinion about the matter doesn't mean that it has to be like that. He's willing to listen to other people's approaches. Um, He's not self-willed. Obviously, if God's already spoken on the matter, uh, he, along with all the other elders, ought to submit to God's authority on this matter. But in matters of judgment, uh, this man ought to be ready to hear out others' thoughts uh, than his own. He has to be quick to listen, right? What would it be like if this man were slow to listen, quick to anger, quick to speak? James 1.19 says you need to be slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to listen. Um, My mom told me I have two ears and one mouth, and so I need to listen twice as much as I talk. I still haven't gotten that yet. Um, But this man has. He's understood that. Um, So he, he listens to what other people say. He's not so interested in himself. He wants to hear uh, out other opinions so that he can figure out what God's will on the matter is. He's not so arrogant to think that he has the monopoly on um, truth on the situation. He's also a lover of good. This is the final characteristic in his personal character. He's a lover of good. He loves good things. Anything that's praiseworthy. That's what Paul says in Philippians 4, right? If anything's worthy of praise. This man loves good things. He supports various works of the church, even though he didn't think of them. Uh, Maybe there's a ministry or something that uh, is a good thing, and he didn't think of it, and he supports it uh, and, and praises it and helps it and encourages it. He's not going to be cliquish, excluding some folks. He's not going to have favorites, even though there are probably people that he'll get along with better than others. We all do that, don't we? Um, sometimes we expect our leaders to be superhuman, and they're not. They're human, right? Just like the rest of us. Um, but this man is focused on not having an insider kind of a relationship. He's not looking for cliques. He's not looking for... Um, a holy huddle, so to speak. He's not looking for that kind of thing. He's looking uh, out for the betterment of the entire congregation. And so he uh, wants to build up the church because that's a good thing. And so he loves good. Um, 
If you're doing what the Lord wants you to do, He's behind you. He's an encourager. He hates sin just like He loves good. And so He's a lover of good. And so there are some possibly difficult things that will have to be said and and, uh, talked about because He loves good. But He does such in a gentle and kind way. The next set of qualifications, I guess if we can call them that, as we walk through 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1, uh, are family qualifications. And so uh, the Bible talks a little bit about how this man's family uh, interacts with his work here. Uh, He's the husband of one wife. Uh, The word here is masculine, which eliminates, obviously, women from serving in this capacity. So he's the husband of one uh, one woman. He's a one-woman man. The next one is he manages his household well. He keeps his kids in subjection with dignity. Now, this qualification implies that his children are still at the house. they, They still live under his roof. And so we come back to this point that we mentioned a little bit earlier about uh, the age of a man. The Bible doesn't say. It doesn't give us an age for the man. Presbyteros indicates to us that uh, he is advanced in age, but we're not given an exact age. And so Paul seems to uh, open up the qualification here uh, to those who are uh, currently having children in their home. If they do have children in their home, if their children are still young enough to be in their home, they manage their household well. They keep their children in subjection with dignity. Um, this scenario envisions a, a guy who's, who's got still kids in the house. And there's, um, is he controlling his children in such a way that he leads them toward God? Is really, I think, what this qualification is directed at. Because if he's not able to direct his own family toward God, how can he direct the rest of us toward God, right? So Paul's trying to get across to us that uh, qualification here. He's also got faithful children. He has Christian children. They're devoted to what is right. They're not sinless. They're human. But they are faithful and they're involved in the work of the church. So that's his family qualifications. He's also got some background qualifications, I guess, if we can use uh, that term for this. He's not a recent convert. Um, this is kind of an interesting qualification because in the early church, at least uh, early on in the early church, a great many of these guys were recent converts, so to speak. A lot of them came out of Judaism, and so they are already spiritually mature. They're just missing a component, right? They're missing the Christ component. And so once they understand that all they've learned about from the Old Testament is actually leading to Christ and they accept Him through the power of baptism or added to the body, they are not, they're not recent converts. They are already spiritually mature. I think that's what he's trying to get at here. The problem with having a recent convert today uh, is we don't have that same scenario built into our culture. Uh, if you were to come out of the denominational world, there are some things that a lot of those folks believe that are not biblical. And so it would be very difficult for that man to catch up, so to speak, uh, in a very quick amount of time, like it was so easy for the Jewish folks to catch up. Um, so Paul says this man is not a recent convert. 
Um, he's not literally, he's not recently planted. Now, a person could be quite old and still be spiritually immature, couldn't he? We, we've known those people, haven't we? Uh, a, peer, a person could be fairly young and be spiritually mature. And so, it's not so much an age thing, it's a spiritual maturity thing. You're looking at uh, whether he's qualified, whether he's a spiritually mature man. He could be the smartest, the best manager, the best organizer, and be spiritually mature. This has nothing to do with his personality. It has everything to do with his direction. Has he dedicated his life to learning this book and the God who wrote it? Uh, is he spiritually mature? Or has he focused on other things? His job in the world doesn't matter at all. Um, a lot of times I think in the church we've, we've said, well, here's a man who's successful in business. He would be a good leader in the church. Those two things don't necessarily equate. Um, just because he's been successful, successful in business does not mean that he would be a good leader in the church because he might not be spiritually mature. Um, he might not be focused on spiritual matters. He might be focused on banking or lawyering or accounting or whatever you wanted to say. One of the best elders I've ever known was a farmer who had a, probably a third or fourth grade education. He's a good man. Why? Well, because he was a spiritual giant. Um, so whether a man is successful in business does not matter so much. It matters about his faith. How mature is he in his faith? We're, we're looking for spiritual maturity. He also needs to have a good reputation with outsiders. Uh, when you talk to the ones he interacts with outside the church, they think of him as an honest man who has integrity. Uh, around town, people will think well of him. If a man lived poorly early on in his life, he's going he's to have some, some ground to make up for, most likely, uh, to make up those... Uh, who are outside the church in this respect. The world already wants to rip at the church, doesn't it? It already wants to tear us down. We can't have a leader in the church who is um, going to be bad-mouthed by those who are outside, whether he is currently righteous or not. His past dictates uh, that they speak well of him currently. So he's, he's got some ground to make up if, if he lived that way early on in his life. The final one we're going to talk about is demonstrated competency. This is specifically in the area of teaching. Uh, this guy is able to teach. Uh, this implies a couple things. It implies that he's been taught himself, right? We're looking for a spiritually mature guy. Uh, so he's been taught the truth himself. He knows the Bible. This is a guy who sits down with his Bible and he reads it. He studies it. It's not just reading through, but he studies the Word. He understands what God would have for him as well as for uh, the church. Second thing this, this word implies is able to teach idea uh, is he's been taught in the past. How would you know, or he's taught in the past? How would you know that he is capable of teaching if he has not currently, if he has not taught in the past? And so this guy is someone who has done one-on-one -on -one Bible studies. This is a man... Uh, who has uh, taught Bible classes, perhaps. Uh, this is a man who, who has perhaps filled the pulpit here. Uh, and so he is able to teach. The word is quite uh, wide, and so we're not exactly um, told exactly what level of teaching, whether it's the pulpit or one-on-one -on -one evangelism, that doesn't matter. The idea is that he is able to teach and is currently teaching. The third thing this word implies is that he will continue to teach in the future. 
uh, he has an ability to teach the Bible. I, again, I think a lot of us sometimes bring in worldly thoughts into this job. Well, if he's good at this, then he'll be good at, at, at leading the church, and that's not necessarily true. Um, just because he is, uh, just because he can talk to you about uh, hunting, just because he can talk to you about um, animal husbandry, <laughs> just because he can talk to you about accounting, fill in the blank, just because he can teach you about those things does not make him a, a good leader in the church. This man needs to know and be able to teach you the Bible, scriptures. And so that's this, this able to teach qualification. He's also able to exhort in sound doctrine. He's able to refute those who contradict. He's one of the men who can keep false teaching from hurting the church. Um, that's, that's part of his job. It's part of the job, uh, the qualifications here for uh, an elder. He decides who the preacher is, the Bible class teachers are, what curriculum we teach, the gospel meeting speakers, which missionary to support. Uh, he's the one who sits in your living room and kindly and gently talks to you about some error in your life. He is able to exhort in sound doctrine, meaning that he is wanting to and ready to encourage you. This guy is an encourager. But also, on the flip side of this coin, he's able to refute those who contradict. He's not shying away from calling sin, sin. He's not uh, pulling any punches here, although he does so in a kind and gentle way. So, very quickly, those are the qualifications for uh, elder. Maybe some of those help shine some light on um, this, this topic. It is a very wide, big topic that we could have talked about for uh, several weeks. Um, but maybe this has been helpful for you. Um, as you look through your bulletin article this week, you'll find those three words, and, and maybe some more of that will shed some light on this, these qualifications and the job description as well. Um, I know this lesson hasn't been very evangelistic, but we always want to offer the invitation to anyone who has been pricked by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so if you are wanting to be saved this morning, we want to aid you in any way we can. Certainly we will sit down and study the Bible with you. We are people of the book and that's why we've, we've talked about uh, 1 Timothy 3 as well as Titus 1 this morning. We want to do Bible things, Bible ways. We want to do it correctly because we don't have any power or authority in and of ourselves. And so we look back to Scripture for that power and that authority. And so we do Bible things, Bible ways. And so we would love to sit down and study with you. If you are curious about the church or about salvation, we want to sit down and study with you. Uh, perhaps you've already been baptized and you just need the prayers of this congregation to be who God would have you to be. Won't you come this morning as we stand and sing?
Good morning, Turk family. Hope everybody's doing all right. Chris, great lesson, brother. Appreciate you. It's always a reminder to uh, pray for Jerry and Gary and Clinton. Uh, they have a tough job, and uh, you know, always remember them in your prayers. A uh, couple announcements before we are dismissed. Um, we extend our sympathy to Gary and Sandy Smith, the death of Gary's sister. Uh, Brenda, so remember to continue to keep that family in your prayers. The funeral was held on Wednesday of last week, um, so remember to keep uh, them in your prayers at this time. Also, remember to continue to keep the Pittman family in your prayers, the loss of Mason. Um, remember them in your prayers as they go through this difficult time. Also, remember Kathy Walls in your family, the loss of her mother. Um, the funeral has not been set yet. Huh? Showing later? Okay. Um, and this will be a private uh, ceremony. So um, remember to keep the Walls family in your prayers at this time as well. Also, uh, the sister of Dean Cooper passed away, Sue Spence, passed away on Thursday uh, on September 23rd. The funeral and visitation will be held this Friday, October 1st, at Hall's Funeral Home. Uh, the funeral will be at 3 o'clock and the visitation's at 2 o'clock. So um, if you can make that, I know the family would greatly appreciate that. Uh, so remember the, uh, the Cooper family in your prayers at this time as well. It's great to see Kelly Williams here with us uh, this morning. Um, remember to continue to keep her in your prayers as she recovers from her recent surgery and as she undergoes radiation. Also, uh, Dottie Hager has asked for prayers for her granddaughter, Emma, who has COVID. Um, so remember Emma, little Emma, in your prayers as well. Also, um, thank you for the prayers for my dad. He's doing better. He finds out more about the test results on Monday. Um, but uh, his, his stomach pains have gone away, but uh, he still wants to know what's going on. Um, and also... Uh, continue to pray for my brother. My brother's taking a turn for the worse. He is um, taking a breathing machine. Um, so he's, uh, he's taking a f turn for the worse. And his daughter, which is five years old, now has a low-grade fever. So they're thinking that it's probably COVID, too, because it spreads around the house. Um, but uh, remember to keep my family in your prayers. Uh, remember to continue to keep Rusty and Kristen in your prayers as they battle cancer at this time and the treatment that they go through. And remember their families. Um, that's all the announcements I have. I'm looking forward to seeing everybody again this evening at 6 o'clock. Um, we'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer.
If you would, just remain seated, and we'll have a, have a little announcement after we sing this song. It's Hilltops of Glory, number 231. Hilltops of Glory. <clears throat> First and last, first and last one. <clears throat> Onward rejoicing, I tell you, I tell you, I tell The elders asked Chris to present this lesson on elders that he just did. For almost two years, probably two years, the elders have talked about appointing more elders. And then like everybody else can use the same excuse, COVID hit. And then we didn't know what we were going to do, but the governor made sure that we didn't meet, but anyway, now's the time. Today we want to put three men's names before the congregation as additional elders. I ask each one of these men and their wife to stand just for a moment so that everybody here know each person. Rick Keister. Thank you. Jeremy Miller. Mike Williams. If anyone has questions about these three men, you have two weeks to let the elders know. We will make the appointments on October 10th, Lord willing. Gary's going to lead us in a closing word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. Pray with me, please. Father in heaven, we thank you for this, uh, this beautiful morning that we've had. Uh, this time, Father, to come together and, and uh, sing songs of praises to you and, and to uh, have Bible class this morning. And 
And Father, and to uh, put these men uh, before the congregation, Father, to become elders, uh, we're thankful for that, and we're thankful for these men, Father, and, and uh, their wives and family, and for their desire to, uh, to serve you. Father, we just pray that uh, every decision uh, that is made here is, is according to your word, Lord, and uh, we are thankful for this time, and, and Father, we thank you for the way that you bless this congregation, and, and Father, we're mindful of all those who were mentioned here this morning, for those uh, who are in the hospitals, and those, Father, who's lost loved ones, and and Father, whatever the situations may be, we just pray that you'll bless them. And, and Father, we ask a, a special prayer for David's brother that you'll continue to, to, uh, to be with him and bless him. And, and Father, we're thankful for uh, Kelly's uh, uh, surgery, that it went well, and, and we pray, Father, for good results there. We do have so much to be thankful for, Lord, and, and uh, we uh, are thankful for our brothers and sisters here and, and Father, for the love that's uh, shown toward each other and this family. And, and we pray that you'll be with us, Father, as, uh, as we all try to uh, work together. We all try to serve you together. And, and Father, we do it in spirit and truth. And we do it in unity. Because, Father, we all have the same desire, and that's, that's to uh, end up in heaven together with you. Father, we pray that you'll forgive us when we fall short. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.